Hi there, it's Bill Allen coming to you from downtown Tyler, Texas. If you're watching at 3 p.m. on Thursday afternoon, uh, watching on my Facebook page or watching it live, if you're coming in a little bit later uh, through one of those avenues, our Facebook page, uh, the church Facebook pages, or our uh, website, westerland.com, then glad to have you joining in. Uh, whenever you can make it, that's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm always encouraged. Uh, to hear from some of you. I'm always encouraged when I see folks at church that say, yeah, I saw you. And as we get started, a special happy birthday to Myron Granberry and Alan Bowers, two of our West Irwin Church of Christ members. Why, Bill, you, you hardly ever mention birthdays well. They're leap day babies, which means that they have a real actual day of birthday once every four years, which is great when you're trying to act like you're younger. And uh, both of those guys are great, great guys, wonderful active servants of our church here. So happy birthday, my friends. And I think one of them is 21 and the other one's a teenager, according to late day birthdays. Uh, glad to have you with us. I'm looking forward to today's lesson. We're going through the daily Bible in chronological order. Uh, by edited by and compiled by Eflagard Smith. We're in the middle of the Law of Moses, but don't get discouraged about that because uh, we're just a few days away from breaking into uh, the time of the conquest of the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. And then we get into the time of the judges. And let me tell you, if you're a little bit uncomfortable with some of the things you're reading about in the Law of Moses, you better buckle your seatbelt because those are hard passages in the book of Joshua and in the book of Judges. Uh, but they're in the Bible and there's lessons to be learned from them and there's exciting narrative to be read. So glad to do that. My cousin Gail and Keith are signing on. Glad to see y'all. Some others I know will be joining us. Uh, but today, as we consider where we are in this study through the law of Moses, we find ourselves uh, at a place where uh, God talks about something that really he shouldn't have to talk about. But because he knows his people and he can see the future just as clearly as he can see the present and the past, he, he gives them some uh, uh, messages and some laws concerning a king. Now, we would know that uh, God is the king of Israel. Um, Israel at this time under the law of Moses and uh, throughout their existence in the Old Testament times, uh, they were a theocracy. When they were an independent nation, they were a theocracy. God was their ruler. Uh, even when they had a king, you could say that they were still under the law of Moses and we'll read some things about that even today. Uh, but as a theocracy, the United States is not a theocracy. The United States is a democratic republic. And that's why we have freedom of religion. <laughs> Under the law of Moses, they did not have freedom of religion. If you worshiped another God other than the Lord, you would be put to death. That's, that's not exactly a democratic republic. And that's why I'm glad to live in a democratic republic because I don't want my government telling me how I should do church and how I should worship the Lord and which God I should worship and serve. I think that's important and that's a great blessing we have in this country and not everybody has that. You get that. Uh, the challenge, of course, is to make the case for God out in the open market, in the public square, as we say. And we do that, first of all, with our lives. And then we do that when we have the opportunity uh, with our words. And I think that is strictly right out of the pages of the New Testament. But in the time of Moses, as we're looking at the law, 
that came through him, uh, we realize that their ruler is God. Even later on in the time of Isaiah, which is uh, written probably uh, maybe around um, 800 or so years after the time of Moses uh, in the 700s BC, uh, Moses around 1500, that's rough, rough dates, of course. Uh, even during the time of Isaiah, he says, when the king died, in the year that King Isaiah died, Isaiah 6 says, I saw, I had a vision, and I saw God on the throne of Israel in heaven. And that, that's really the way it's supposed to be for everyone, no matter what kind of government and political place that you're in. Uh, God should be on the throne of your heart. Um, and yet, uh, God knew that the Israelites would, would want to be just like the other nations. And so it is really interesting, as Lagarde Smith points out, that God would anticipate the people's desire for a king in future years, which happened in the days of King Saul and King David, uh, which would be about 500 or so years after Moses. Uh, again, it's of great interest that God would anticipate the people's desire for a king and actually provide certain guidelines at this early time, hundreds of years before it came about. Again, that's a, a, a word about the ins inspiration of the scripture. It's a word about how God was truly uh, speaking through Moses and giving his people uh, this law. Uh, later on, they would do exactly what Moses says there might come a time when they do. He talked about it in Deuteronomy 17, as we have read. And later on in the time of Samuel, the last of the judges that we'll be reading about pretty soon, and the first one who uh, anointed the first king and the second king, uh, King Saul and then King David, sometime around 1000 uh, B.C., uh, the people said, we want a king, we want to be just like the nations around us, and that's what God said that, that he knew would happen. But he tells them in Deuteronomy 17, be sure you choose a God that is the choice of the Lord. Choose the man that God would choose. Um, and so he gives uh, lots of, of uh, encouraging lessons and warnings about that. The king must be someone who is committed to the law of God. He must not have many wives, it says, uh, or else they will lead him astray. And we saw that with King Solomon. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. We saw that with King Solomon. And it's interesting that in our nation today, we still see that temptation of material possessions and using your power and authority uh, to increase your personal wealth uh, and uh, your personal fame. Uh, it's a sad, sad thing. And, and we know that that happens, and we know that it happens, as they say, on both sides of the aisle. And so as a people in a democratic republic, we are the ones in charge. And so we try to do the very best we can uh, under God's will uh, to do what's best for our country. I tell you, I pray almost every single day for our country, and I pray that uh, God's will would be done during this uh, election year. Um, when God takes the throne of, of the kingdom, uh, he realizes that the people are going to want a human being, a person there. And so, interestingly enough, God says that that person is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. The king is to have a handwritten copy that he wrote of his own, of the law of Moses, if he's really going to do what the law says. And so he is to read it all the days of his life. 
uh, the Lord says, and he is to follow it carefully in his own personal life and as he leads uh, God's people. The people were to respect their leaders and 1 Peter 2, um, uh, 1 Timothy 2, uh, Romans 13, all these passages say the same thing in the New Testament, uh, to respect the leaders of your people and to pray for them. And we, as Christians, because we follow God, we seek to do that. Whether your person got elected or not, um, it doesn't change uh, your responsibility to, uh, to be a, a person of respect and consideration and devotion, first of all, to God, to be obedient to his word. Uh, follow justice and justice alone, Deuteronomy says. Uh, and God says in the book of Exodus that we read in chapter 23, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Well, what a powerful, powerful statement that is. Deuteronomy, uh, I mean, Exodus 23, uh, verse 1 and 2, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Well, there's a lot of other things that happen over the next uh, pages of our reading. Uh, this is all taken from February 27th. Uh, the reading for that day. And uh, of course, over the last couple of days, we've read about all of the different crimes and criminal behavior that the Israelites were not to be in, in part of. This is a section on, on uh, justice. It's a section on, of course, the king and the establishment of courts. It's a section that talks about criminal behavior. I'm sure it was one of Lagarde Smith's favorites as an attorney himself, and he has it arranged in such a very helpful way. Uh, but he speaks about uh, criminal behavior, such as killing someone, homicides, uh, rape, kidnapping, uh, crimes against property, uh, stealing, one of the Ten Commandments, of course, thou shalt not steal. Uh, he speaks of all of those things as he continues on. And later on, we're going to see in the days that to come, he's going to talk about acting uh, with justice towards each, each other. Specifically, he's going to talk about uh, being fair in business. When you trade something for somebody, be, use honest weights. Don't use weights that are, uh, that are uh, uh, adjusted so that they come out in your favor. Uh, that's not the way you're supposed to do that. Um, and all of these things he's going to be talking about in the days ahead. And then finally, when we get uh, to March the 7th, uh, so maybe about a week away or so, uh, that's when we turn the page on the life of Moses and begin uh, centering on uh, Joshua and his leadership in the conquest of the promised land. Uh, and so lots of exciting things ahead. But before we get there, I want us to think again about this idea of the call to purity. Uh, much of the Old Testament law of Moses calls on the people to be pure, whether it's talking about sexual morality or whether it's talking about how they treat each other and what they say about their ruler or what they say about each other. And are they honest in their business dealings? Do they use honest weights and measures or do they try to defraud? Uh, do they respect each other's property? Um, and, and on and on and on, you look at those 10 commandments and I mentioned it before, the 10 commandments that we read a while back, um, Four of the ten are directly about our relationship with God, such as you shall have no other gods before you. Uh, six of the ten, however, are about how we treat each other. And we're reminded of Jesus' uh, two great commandments when he was pressed about it. 
He said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he volunteers the second. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that second one is taken right out of Leviticus chapter 19, right in the big fat middle of the law of Moses. There is the call to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, God was always concerned about his people, their purity, their holiness, their honesty, their integrity, their sense of justice, their morality. As you're reading through the law of Moses, you see that in a very clear, decisive way. And I can tell you that God is just as concerned about all of those things in New Testament times as he was then. Bill, I can't believe that. Well, let's do a little bit of reading and I'll demonstrate that to you. First of all, this is from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 looks back to that great holiness code that we read in Leviticus chapter 19. As God was giving them this law that you've been reading, he says, you be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's why we're called to live this way. That's why we're called to act with justice towards our neighbor, uh, even towards our enemy, uh, to not treat them unkindly, to not treat them with injustice, uh, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to be people of integrity, to, to act truthfully in our business, uh, to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, uh, to act with uh, justice and uh, genuineness. Well, that's what Peter tells his people that he reads his, his epistle uh, to in 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter bases this on that great holiness code that we have read and that we see laid out by Moses in very detailed fashion as we read through the law of Moses. Let's keep reading in 1 Peter 1 verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. That's one of the resounding themes in First and Second Peter, resident aliens. These were people who had been forced out of their homeland in Palestine because they were Christians, and they ended up in what we, I think is modern-day Turkey, kind of in the north-central part of, of modern-day Turkey. And they were the bottom of the social scale. They had no power. They had no, no money. They had no resources. Uh, they were there. And the book of, books of First and Second Peter helped them to, to realize how you can do that, even to the point where they were persecuted very strongly. And Peter says, let that be your witness. And so here he says, spend your time on this earth as foreigners, uh, as immigrants here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. 
One of the songs we used to sing in youth group days, I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed. One of those answer back and forth, by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb, I've been redeemed, and it goes on and on. Have to put this little caveat in here. I had a very big surprise this week when two dear, wonderful friends that were in the youth group when I was in the youth group and at Lackland Terrace Church of Christ in San Antonio, John and Laura Schneider, John Schneider and Laura Kump has, have been married a long, long time. And uh, they were driving through and they popped by for just a minute and came in and saw me. And it was such a wonderful, wonderful blessing. But that great youth group, we relived some old memories. They showed me a picture of uh, a mission trip that we went on together, all in that youth group, along with some couple of families of our sponsors and our preacher, uh, Ron Clayton, Ronnie Clayton, and I went to Westlaco, Texas, near the border, and crossed into Mexico while we were there and visited a, an Iglesia de Cristo in, um, in, in Mexico. Um, wonderful, wonderful trip. I was just a freshman in high school. It was the summer after I'd been baptized in March, and yet there my sister and I were on that wonderful, wonderful trip. Well, all of that to say, that song reminds me of those youth group days, and it's based on this passage. We've been redeemed, not with money or something like that, gold, but with um, the imperishable blood of the Lamb that God raised from the dead. Let's keep reading in 1 Peter 1, and this call to purity, as the Lord our God is pure and holy. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Quoting from the great uh, 40th chapter of Isaiah. And this is the word that was preached to you. So he has said that we're redeemed by the uh, imperishable blood of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're redeemed through the preaching and the teaching of the imperishable word of God that lives forever. Um, and then in chapter 2, he gives us the so what? Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We are to grow up and to mature in our salvation, but we do that through this right here. We do that through the inspired word of God. And that's the only way we can do that. And uh, other places later on in First Peter, he's going to come back to that. The book of Hebrews is strong on that. Uh, of course, Jesus himself uh, said, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples, and, and uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. A uh, great, wonderful passage in John chapter 8. Uh, Peter gives a great call to his people, his hearers, uh, to be, live lives of purity and integrity, justice and holiness. You be holy as the Lord your God is holy. That's what we've been reading about in the law. Very specific details on how God's people can be that pure people. But interestingly enough, in the New Testament times, that, that people of God is the church. Uh, it's not the nation of Israel now, although I'm very concerned for them and I pray, I pray 
that Hamas will release the hostages and that there can be peace in the Middle East somehow. Uh, but I know, and Paul says this in Romans chapters 9 through 11, he says, the Jews, they're blessed because of the patriarchs. They're blessed because we have the Old Testament scriptures through them. They're blessed because they gave us Jesus of Nazareth, a descendant of Abraham. But now, like everyone else, they're going to be blessed if they turn to Jesus Christ. Because it is now the church that is that special, precious, pure people of God. And our purity comes only because of Jesus. Paul, uh, Peter says just as much in reading the next chapter of 1 Peter. That's this chapter we started. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, starting in verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you, talking to the Christians there, the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The call to purity and holiness. And then note it has an evangelistic aspect in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I'm sure as Peter wrote those words, he was thinking about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, when he was talking about letting your light shine. Uh, let your light shine, he said. Don't hide it under a bushel as we sing the little kid song, uh, but set it on its stand so that it gives light to the whole house. Um, and, and he says, do this. Uh, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and praise your heavenly Father. Same way. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What's he talking about? He's talking about living lives of purity and holiness, justice and integrity and love. That's what Moses called his people to do under the law. We see that spelled out in passages like Galatians 5 verses 19 through 23 where he contrasts the works or deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, contrast that with the works of the flesh, which are sexual immorality, homosexuality, lying, all of those things. Um, Paul says the same thing Peter does here. Live a life of purity and holiness and obedience, a justice and integrity. Uh, that's the call of God. Uh, for us today just as much as it was for them. Uh, to the Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, these things, that sexual immorality, that um, uh, selfishness, that pride, all of those things, the envy, those are the things that, um, that if you live that way, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 6. But then he says in verse 11, and such were some of you, and you were like this. But you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the great news of the gospel. As we read through the law of Moses, we say, well, how could anybody keep all of these laws? And the truth is, they couldn't. They couldn't.
But one of the things that we have read is that anyone who is hung on a pole, anyone who is hanged on a tree, anyone who is impaled or crucified has become a curse. And that's why scripture says that Jesus became a curse for us. Paul tells the Galatians that by being crucified, the Son of God allowed himself to be cursed for us so that we wouldn't be, even though it's what we deserved. And that's the great story of the good news of the gospel, that through Jesus Christ, we can have that righteousness of God, as Paul talks about. And uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. It doesn't give us permission to sin. It doesn't give us permission to live lives of impurity and unholiness. Um, but it calls us to a sense of justice, a sense of integrity, a sense of purity. It calls us to lives of holiness. Why? Because God has saved us and forgiven us. And now we get to live that way. That's how the New Testament puts it. That's what Jesus called us to. And in the words of Moses that are still true today, that great holiness code, you be holy, just as I, the Lord your God, am holy. I hope and pray that you have a good weekend. Continue that reading, and I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. If you were watching our worship assembly this past Sunday, I apologize, but we lost power <laughs> during the communion service, so everything just went blank, and that's why you can't find it on our website. That's why if you were watching live, it went bye-bye, <laughs> but I hope and pray that this week will be different, and hopefully we'll be able to see you. If not, I look forward to seeing you this coming Tuesday. God bless, and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.